Good morning. So I'm going to start out with a disclaimer. And that disclaimer is that we're going to ditch technology just for a little bit of this because I had a lot of scriptures and I didn't really have the time or want to make Chrissy look through like 80 slides to go through all of them. Some of the scriptures I'm actually just going to reference and some of them I will actually read. Um, But unfortunately, if you want to look those up, you'll need to write them down. So (laughs) just to start out, a belated happy Thanksgiving to you all. I hope that you all had a good holiday. I hope that you didn't have to add too many notches to your belt from your Thanksgiving meal. Having recently started to do some diet and meal planning type things in order to be healthier, I must admit that I did thoroughly take advantage of the fact that basically everyone in my family knows how to cook. I hope that you got to take some time away from food and football to have actual conversations with your family, even that weird uncle. Come on, every family has that person that's just a bit quirky and off the wall. And if you don't know who that person is in your family, well, it's probably you. (laughs) I've only been an uncle for a little over three years, and I'm fairly certain that I'm already trying to actively establish myself as crazy Uncle Ryan. I mean, a guy's got to have some aspirations in life. I hope you didn't get caught up in any Black Friday shopping mishaps or spend a bit too much money shopping online for Christmas gifts. I say that due to the fact that For one, Bob just spent several weeks talking about finances, so hopefully we were all paying attention. But also from my own personal experience in previous years, because there can be such a thing as wanting to give too much. But most importantly, I hope that you took time to appreciate what Thanksgiving is really about. Just as the true purpose of Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Christ in a manger and what that means to us, Thanksgiving should be focused on the two words in the name of the holiday, giving thanks. And we really have a lot to be thankful for. The the poorest people in this nation still have more than many other people around the world. And yes, there are homeless and destitute people in the United States, but even those individuals in a lot of cases have access to things like shelters, churches, other means of assistance that they can help them to become better off than before that simply don't exist or really aren't available in other places around the world. And most of us don't just have the basic human necessities like food, water, a place to live, clothing. Most of us have homes that we own, cars that we can drive, the financial ability to refuel and maintain them, which that gets pricier every year, it seems, access to public education, numerous things that some might never see in their lifetime. Items like TVs and computers, video games and books. I'd venture to guess that regardless of what the particular items are, many of us probably have some sort of a collection of one thing or another, coins, figurines, action figures, stamps, whatever it might be. And whether you go to work every day loving what you do, or you get in there just to pay your bills and you loathe your company entirely, We have the opportunity to bring in an income that even at the lowest of wages would seem like a vast treasure to many that are not so fortunate. To many people in the world, our lives would seem like the most luxurious version of life that they had ever witnessed. 
But the thing we should be most grateful for, what we should be giving thanks for, not just on the fourth Thursday of November of each year, but every single day, is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the child in the manger. Jesus, the man who dwelt among those who walked the earth during his day. Jesus as the Holy Spirit, Christ within us. And Jesus, the Savior, who conquered sin and death. And while it would be relatively easy to do an entire sermon on each one of those things, today I just want to take a look at a handful of reasons that we should be thankful for God with us, the Holy Spirit, and Christ the Savior. We should give thanks because Jesus taught us how to live. So take just a few moments and think of all the many lessons that Jesus taught in the first four books of the New Testament. And I'm certain that you can probably think of quite a few. Anybody that's been to a Sunday school class probably knows uh, countless different stories of things that Jesus taught. So he, he taught us how to pray to our Heavenly Father. This is where I'm going to give you a, a long string of scriptures because I'm not going to read 90 verses to you and make this even longer than it's already going to be. He taught us how to pray to our Heavenly Father. Luke 11, 1 through 4, and Matthew 6, 5 through 15. He taught us to love the Lord, to love our neighbors, and to love our enemies. Mark 12, 29 through 31, and Matthew 5, 43 through 48. He taught us to forgive those who did wrong against us and to show grace to those around us. Matthew 18, 21 through 25. He taught us to be servants. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. He taught us not to keep our faith to ourselves, but to share the wondrous gifts of God's Word and His promises with all the nations. Matthew 5, uh, verses 14 through 16. He taught us that God's will should come before our own will. Luke 22, 41 through 43. And He taught us that sacrifice is sometimes necessary that others might gain from it. John 10, 17 through 18, and John 3, 16 and 17. Now that's a list that's been pared down quite a bit because despite only being here on earth for a short time, Christ conveyed a huge number of truths and imparted a great amount of wisdom that remain both relevant and impactful today. How many of you have had a person in your life that you would say is or was a superior role model? I would imagine most of us have probably had somebody like that. Someone that uh, this person was just an, an amazing example of how you should act. I've been fortunate enough that I've, uh, to have plenty of great role models in my lifetime, but the person that I would probably put in that spot would have been my grandfather, Cheryl Fritz. He was simply someone that put near every, uh, nearly everyone else before himself. His devotion to the Lord was without question. He was a man of prayer, a man who studied the Word more than anyone else I can think of, and someone who spent much time being a servant in the name of Jesus Christ. Even as he got older, he was still doing things around the church. In life, we all have role models, and some might be good, some might be not so good. 
Some lead us toward things that will help us in life, that make us better people, better Christians, and others lead us to things that ultimately harm us in one way or another, possibly even leading us toward actions that lead us to physical or spiritual destruction. And this is why we should give thanks for the teaching of Jesus, because he is the only true perfect example of a person that has ever walked the earth. And despite what we might sometimes think, even when it seems like we're missing out on the the fun things in life, Christ teaches us that all these things that he wants for us lead us toward the path of righteousness, to peace, to life in the full. His teachings protect us from sin and from the harm that comes from sin, even though sometimes we might not see the consequences that come with that in the moment. Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We should give thanks because we are never alone in our struggles. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, someone is trying to tell you about something that they're going through and you just can't seem to relate to it? You're trying to put yourself in in their shoes to try to find some way to help them, some way to give them insight, some way to make them feel better, but it's nearly impossible to do because you haven't been there. It's something that you've never lived through in your own personal travels through this life. Now, I tend to think, and I'm not trying to brag myself up, so I apologize if this sounds egotistical, I think I'm a fairly thoughtful person. (coughs) When it comes to friends or family that are going through a rough patch, I feel like I try to be there as much as I can. I also feel that I have a fairly relatable and tactful way of speaking to people most of the time. I'm not perfect, and sometimes that shows. And I typically try to give words of wisdom and encouragement when I've been asked to do so or if I feel that it's fitting at that time. But sometimes I run into a conversation like the one I just described and I find it hard to do to say the right thing. It could be that that person uh, recently suffered a great loss of some sort, whether it's the loss of a person or a financial loss or perhaps they're experiencing a temptation of some sort that I've never struggled with. And it's just hard to, to relate to that. Now, I, I asked in the prayer request earlier about prayers for the Frederick family. Um, and I used to be pretty close friends with Jake when I was in grade school. And unfortunately, like a lot of relationships in life, we just kind of drifted apart over the years, moved to different areas, things of that nature. Um, but his... His dad recently passed away, and the relationship was definitely not the greatest. Um, I had met his dad a few times when I was a kid, and he could be a very volatile person. And from all indications, uh, that rift between him and Jake grew drastically worse as uh, as both of us progressed into our 20s and 30s. And amidst the various comments of thoughts and prayers on the post about his dad's passing, he responded in a comment that in less colorful words, he couldn't believe that he was crying over such a terrible person. And I simply didn't know how to respond in that moment. I was, uh, 
I was actually out shopping at Walmart, and I just randomly checked my phone and saw that the notification about it, and I decided I needed to respond in some fashion, and it took me almost 10 minutes to come up with what I hoped would be the right words. And even then, I felt that my condolences and thoughts were, which were intentionally very concise, were a bit hollow and generic. But I simply couldn't relate. Now, I've had family members and friends that have left this world, but thankfully I haven't yet experienced the loss of a parent. And while I've certainly had my share of ups and downs with my parents, which they can attest to, I also don't think I've ever experienced anything even remotely close to the nature of the relationship that Jake had with his dad. As humans, our ability to relate to, to comfort, or to assist people through life's problems are limited. There are some of those who do seem to have that gift that they know what to say in every situation, but we only have so many life experiences, and every situation is different and can't necessarily be addressed by the same words or actions. Someone who's a Christian, who's lost somebody that's also a Christian, is going to be much more receptive to the comforts of God's promise of eternal life versus an atheist or an agnostic that's lost somebody and doesn't believe that God is real or that he isn't there for them. Telling someone that doesn't believe will not have that same effect. But our Heavenly Father knows the heart of every man, woman, and child, regardless of if they believe in him or not. One of my favorite sections of Scripture, which is a well-known passage from the Old Testament, are the words from Psalms 139, 1-16. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and me lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. As Christians, we should be forever grateful that we have a God who knows us so intimately, who knows our thoughts, our inner workings. And while not every person that we encounter is going to take solace in words of encouragement through the workings of our faith, our compassion, our caring, our actions can plant a seed that shows how differently we handle the sorrows of this world because of our faith. We should give thanks because God gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, 
When my friend Zach passed away a little over five years ago, it's, it's really hard to believe that it's been that long because it seems like it was just, a, you know, a, not long ago at all. Everyone that knew him and that was even remotely close to him was just devastated, myself included, because Zach was just a passionate person. And for an amazing guy like that to just pass away at the age of 25, especially when his life seemed to be coming together, it was just heart-wrenching. And when I was initially dealing with the loss of my friend, I was just trying to comprehend that this was reality, that I would never see him again. I would never talk to him again. I would never sing with him when we would go to do karaoke together. But even after a few days, the pain still resided, but I had the benefit of the great comfort knowing that Zach was a Christian and that he wasn't in pain anymore. I had the peace of knowing that he was truly in a better place because of his faith. And in speaking with his cousin, someone uh, who doesn't know God, I was able to witness and to share how Zach's faith and my faith, uh, Zach's faith made his passing less tragic and how it made losing him easier for me to bear We may not always understand why good people seem to be taken from us before their time, but God's promise of life eternal offers us peace, understanding, and in cases such as this, a way to display our faith through our words and actions that others might grow curious about the God that can help us in such a way, the God that can help us to face such difficult trials and to face such difficult loss and to be able to bear it and to find peace. And that could even potentially lead others to him through us. We should give thanks because Jesus faced temptation just as we do. Why does this matter? It matters because it shows that Jesus, God in the flesh, was just as surrounded by temptation as we were, if only in potentially different ways than we see today. Obviously, there are some things that we face in today's society as technology has changed and society has changed that didn't exist back in Christ's day. It matters because Jesus is God in the flesh and we, his children, are created in his image. It gives us a touchstone, a point of shared experience. It shows us that while we can never be God or attain his perfect sinless nature, we are able to look upon him as our perfect example to know that it is possible to resist that which would make us stumble. It isn't as if God came to earth as a man and magically just made himself oblivious to the temptations of this world. He knew temptation that we can only begin to fathom. Most of you are probably familiar with the story of the temptation of Jesus from Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms in the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. 
And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put your Lord God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, we might never face temptations such as what Jesus faced in the desert. Most of us, myself included, can't comprehend going a day or so without food, let alone 40. And we don't have the power to turn stones into bread. We might not be offered the authority and glory of all the kingdoms of the world, And we most likely will never have somebody ask us to throw ourselves from the top of a temple to try to command angels to save us. These temptations in and of themselves are specific to Jesus' experience, but that isn't the point of this incident being in Scripture. The reason we should be thankful for Jesus having been tempted, just as we are and will continue to be, is that he set a holy and righteous example for us. In the Old Testament, Satan was allowed to test uh, God's servant Job to see if he would turn from God after suffering great misfortune. Everything was taken from Job that he might curse God and abandon his faith. But in this story, Jesus is tested in the opposite fashion. He was offered sustenance in a time of great hunger, power over nations. He was given the chance to basically opt out of the devil's temptations by the use of his own power. And this section of Scripture is important because it gives us vitally important information. Knowing the devil's schemes that he used with God's servant Job and seeing how he tested Jesus in the desert, it shows us how Satan utilizes different tactics to tempt us to sin. He knows that one person's weakness might be sin of the flesh, where another might struggle with lying and deceit. The individual that is stealing from others is going to be attacked differently than another who has problems with holding their tongue. This passage from Luke also shows us how to defend ourselves against Satan and the temptations that could befall us by being obedient to the Lord's commands, by taking time to read and study God's word, by knowing and proclaiming that the God of Israel is the one true God, and by refusing to put our Lord God to the test because we already know that he is the all-powerful, all-knowing ruler of everything. We can give thanks that Jesus Christ was tempted because his example gives us strength in our own temptation. We're empowered to resist the sin that would ensnare us through Christ, who has stood temptation in ways that we can still use today, through Scripture, obedience to God, and the understanding that our God is far greater than anything Satan can entice us with. (coughs) Excuse me. We give thanks because Jesus suffered persecution. Now, despite the constant pressures brought on by society and our government, we still have more freedoms than a lot of other countries. Nations like Cuba and China and North Korea reside under communist powers that have great control over their people. Dozens of countries are still controlled by a dictatorship in one form or another. Freedom of speech, while having come under fire in this country in recent years, is still much more accessible and less attacked than many parts of the world. 
I have, a, I have a question. Have you ever walked in the doors of this building and felt genuinely concerned that we could have a group of people barge in and arrest us for our beliefs? Or that at any moment someone might come in here and harm us or burn down our building? As, as many crazy things as I see in the news every day, I can't say that I've ever felt that way coming here. There are violent actions that have happened against the church in this country, but at this point, I feel that society's main tactic today is to bully Christians into submission. If you're outspoken about your faith in the United States, the typical response seems to be to just push us away. If you're in a position that is in the public eye, there are the constant attempts to use cancel culture to silence those who go against the grain when it comes to the current moral narrative. And while we have seen a great deal more pushback against the church and our beliefs beliefs as Christ followers, we can come together and we can worship without great fear of persecution. We can meet here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and not have an even remotely high concern that we might be harassed or arrested or kidnapped or tortured or murdered for our faith. Meanwhile, in other parts of the world, missionaries and Christians native to some countries face exactly that every single day. The group Open Doors is an organization whose stated purpose is to strengthen and equip Christians around the world who are facing persecution and discrimination because of their faith in Jesus Christ and to encourage their involvement in world evangelism. Now, according to their website, one in seven Christians are persecuted worldwide. Broken down further, one in five Christians are persecuted in Africa and two out of five in Asia. Did anybody happen to take the uh, attendance count this morning? 45. 45. So, oh, now i got to do math. I didn't think about that part. <laughs> so, roughly six people in here, six or seven people in here probably would have been persecuted according to these statistics. And... Again, that's worldwide, so that's including the one in five in Africa and the two in five in Asia, so that just tells you how great the persecution is in those areas of the world. Last year, over 5,000 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons, over 2,000 churches were attacked, and nearly 5,000 Christians were detained because of their faith. We truly do not understand how good we have it here. And we should thank the Lord every day for the freedom we're afforded to worship and to pray and to simply exist as followers of Christ without fearing that our faith will cost us in some fashion. Not only that, we should be thankful for the opportunities that we are afforded because we don't face such harsh persecution. Because as Christians, we're called to do more than to simply exist. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 say, say this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have the freedom to express our faith, to, to put it into practice, but we also have the freedom to do what is so dangerous in other places, which is to spread 
the good news of the gospel. And we need to do it, especially now when we have the freedom to do that. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The words of the second uh, chapter of Timothy don't say that we might be persecuted. The Scripture doesn't say that we will be exempt from the hate and violence that is faced by so many Christians in other nations. It says that all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We need to be thankful that we have the opportunity to spread the gospel and that for now, we don't face violent opposition for doing such things. But when we are persecuted for our beliefs, we can be thankful that before we even existed, God came to earth as a man and he was persecuted first. Though he was indeed God in the flesh, he came to earth knowing full well that he would face adversity, knowing full well that he would face the threat of death and eventually would indeed be sentenced to death for what he did and said. The words that Jesus spoke to his disciples so long ago still hold true for us today. John chapter 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. The world that embraces all the sinful thoughts and actions of man hates what we stand for. Why? Because the world hated Christ first. The man who healed the sick who raised the dead. These all sound like pretty good things, and and yet Christ faced constant opposition from, a lot of times, the supposed religious leaders. He offered hope for living water that we might never thirst again, and he was despised by many. Christ would eventually hear shouts of crucify him from many of those who had just offered up praises to him shortly before that. When Jesus was traveling around ministering to people in the region, he was even threatened with death in Nazareth, the very place that he grew up in. (coughs) Excuse me. Luke 4, 14-28. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. 
and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now there's a lot to unpack here, but I'm going to try to zip through this pretty quickly. Uh, with this incident that happened with Jesus in Nazareth. Essentially, Jesus shows back up in his hometown where he grew up. He goes to the synagogue, just as he had gone to in every other city, and he proceeds to read a prophecy that came comes from the 61st chapter of the book of Isaiah, which happens to be about him. And then as everyone is staring at him, he just comes out and says, this prophecy has been fulfilled on this day. And people don't seem to know how to take it. They're not necessarily buying what Jesus is selling, so to speak. They go so far as to ask, isn't this Joseph's son? They seemingly have only heard of Jesus the carpenter, not Jesus the teacher or Jesus the public figure. And he knew that the people were lacking in faith in what he was saying. And he basically says, I know what you're going to say. Why don't you heal some people like you did everywhere else? And the book of Mark expands on Jesus' time in Nazareth and upon this idea that the people there didn't believe him. Mark 6, 5 says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And then Jesus really sets them off because he tells them about two different foreigners that were aided or healed because of their faith. And the way that he words it is important because he's, ba- he's essentially implicating that the Israelites in this area in these various areas were unworthy of such miracles, and therefore God bestowed miracles on outsiders who did believe. And the reaction's immediate. Jesus is God incarnate, and he's speaking the truth of the God of Israel, whom these people claim to follow, but his not-so-subtle hints that their faith might not be as strong as they think. They just don't believe what he's telling him, and then as soon as they hear that foreigners should receive God's healing rather than his chosen people, well, that was just too much. And so they tried to kill him. (laughs) Think about where we're at today as a society, as a country. It sounds kind of familiar. Those who preach the word of God, those who voice an opinion that differs from whatever the new way of thinking, are deemed to be bigots and homophobes, prudes who simply can't accept the way things are. The truth that we know to be evident through Almighty God, leads to ridicule, loss of friends, harassment, and worse things in some cases. I think I've mentioned it before, but at one point I remember uh, somebody that I graduated with posted something on Facebook, and they basically said, if you don't uh, believe that you know gay marriage is fine, just unfriend me right now. And And that's kind of where we are with a lot of people in society, 
If you're a Christian and you proclaim your faith, if you proclaim belief in certain things that go against the grain, you're shut out. We will be persecuted, and it's only going to get worse, as we've seen in the passing of time, especially in recent years. But we should give thanks because Jesus was there first. We don't blindly adhere to our beliefs and face backlash just because some guy told us to. We profess our faith knowing that it could cause us to be ostracized, discriminated against, and even attacked because the Lord came as a man and withstood that much and worse, including His false condemnation and execution. We should give thanks because the Holy Spirit resides in all who are saved. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt as if you had been abandoned? You were just left high and dry and nobody, you had nobody to turn to in a difficult time. Now it could be something simple. It could be that you had a, a, a project when you were in school or a project at work and there was something that needed to be done as a group or something that should have been started by somebody else before you got there in order that there would be a certain amount of progress on the task that needed to be completed. But instead, you're stuck doing it on your own or the amount that you have to do is exponentially increased because someone else was lazy or just didn't care. Or worse, you've been abandoned by a friend or a family member. Your mom gave you up for adoption when you were born and you feel like you were unwanted. Dad didn't really want to be a dad and left before you really even knew him. Perhaps you have a friend that decided that work or their boyfriend or girlfriend, or being right in an argument was more important than continuing in your friendship. Your spouse decided that love just, the love just wasn't there anymore, and your marriage of 2, 5, 10, 20 years, whatever the case might be, ends in divorce. Or you feel that someone left close to you left you too soon. Maybe they passed away in a car accident, or they were sick and they were taken from this world at a young age, or they took their own life, leaving you behind to wonder why. Or maybe they simply pass away at a ripe old age, but you're so lost without them that you don't know what to do with your life. People experience these feelings all the time, and most likely we will all experience at least one of these situations, probably more than one of them. And you simply feel lost. Even those of us who count God as our Lord and Savior can probably attest that feeling abandoned or left behind in any one of these scenarios can still make you feel lost. Our faith might lessen the burden, but the pain of a friendship ended, or a life lost, or a relationship ended, still stings, and it sometimes lingers on even as time has passed. And the disciples must have had similar feelings when they saw Christ die on that cross. They'd only been with Him for what seemed like such a short time, just a few years, but in that time He had changed their lives entirely. They went from being fishermen and tax collectors to the closest earthly companions of God in human form. He was their teacher, their friend, and the one who showed them the path to life eternal. But he was gone, laid behind a, a stone in an earthly tomb. And again, the disciples probably felt lost. But Jesus wasn't abandoning his disciples. In fact, he had told them before he instituted the Lord's Supper, before he was betrayed by Judas, 
Before His torture and crucifixion on the cross, He gave them this comfort, which comes from John 14, 15-20, and 26-27. If you love Me, keep My commands, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Continuing in verse 26 and 27. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Christ promised his disciples an advocate that would be with them forever, that they would not be left as orphans, that they would continue to learn through the teachings of the Holy Spirit. But what exactly does the Holy Spirit mean to us? Most of us are familiar with the the story of the day of Pentecost in which the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles, allowing them to speak in different languages that all might hear the offer of salvation in the message that day. But how does it relate to us today in 2023? Almost 2024. I can't believe that it's. (laughs) I'm saying that already. Why should we be thankful that the Holy Spirit can reside in you and me? We need to give thanks that the Holy Spirit empowers us to spread the good news of the Gospel. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We give thanks because the Holy Spirit allows us to be born again in Christ, John 3, verses 5 and 6, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. We give thanks because the Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-13 says this, We do, however, speak speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. 
We give thanks because the fruit of the Spirit produces the character of Christ in us. Galatians 5, 22-25 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And again, I'm merely touching on a select few things that the Holy Spirit does with us. But just this handful of examples should be caused to be thankful to God that the Holy Spirit can reside in us if we're saved. Because the Holy Spirit not only changes us, making us more like Christ, it gives us the ability to go out and to spread the good news to those around us. We might not all be preachers. We might not all be evangelists that speak to thousands in a packed concert venue. We might not be musical artists who reach out through their concerts and through the music that we listen to on the radio or on our phones. But we can use the Holy Spirit within us to reach out to our neighbors, our coworkers, a chance meeting on the street with a homeless person or a friend we've known for years that doesn't know the Lord. The Holy Spirit enables us to go out and reach the lost. Now, the Christmas season is coming. If you haven't noticed, it's kind of hard to, especially since we're all decorated here now. Um, Various stores have probably been telling you that it was here two months ago, since that's when I first recall seeing Christmas decorations. (laughs) Sorry, I lost my place there for a second. Regardless of the debate of, of real life versus retail, we are fast approaching December 25th. And I feel that as we've just passed Thanksgiving Day and we're now shifting our attention toward Christmas, I would be remiss to exclude thankfulness for Jesus Christ the child. Now why should we be thankful for a baby lying in a manger? And why should we care about a Jesus who can't even speak to us? After all, his words and his actions as a man, or even the small glimpse that we get of him as a young boy at the temple, seem to be far more pertinent to our faith. We should give thanks because Christ's birth shows the majesty of God's creation. Remember those verses all the way back in Genesis? I know we we haven't been there today, which is fairly unusual for me in a sermon. I almost always go back to Genesis at least one time. In fact, we spent very little time in the Old Testament today. But speaking about the creation of man, there's a direct connection to the birth of Christ and to us. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now I've touched upon this idea before. But if God wanted to, Jesus could have simply appeared as a man. He could have just walked out of thin air and simply existed. He could have descended from the clouds with a glowing aura surrounding him. But instead, Christ came in the humblest of settings as a baby. No glossy hospital suite, no midwife, in a stable, probably in a cave. Christ came into the world. And because of that, Jesus becomes relatable. He, be, he truly becomes God with us, not just in the sense that He is God here on this planet, 
but he was God in the exact same appearance as you and me. This isn't one of the wild-looking creatures or beings from the book of Revelation. Jesus Christ looked just the way we would have as a baby, and that is what makes God's actions in Genesis all that more impactful to the story of Christ's birth. Because it's one thing to say God created us in His image. But for Jesus to come and reside here on earth not as some visually superior and magnificent looking being, He's he's not being turned into Fabio or anything like that. But just as a man, two legs, two arms, a nose, two eyes, a mouth, and despite the words of a way at a manger, probably a set of lungs that belted out the cries of a baby just like any other. For all the various miraculous wonders the adult Jesus performed, for all of the knowledge that he had, being God in the flesh from that moment on, God demonstrated his full intent to live with, to live with us, and that, sorry, lost my place again. God demonstrated his full intent to live with us and that is uh, why he created us that way in the beginning. We should give thanks because God was and is and always will be worthy of our praise. Now, I know that praise and thanks don't share the same definition. However, I believe that they are two concepts that are so closely related that they can't be completely separated from each other. As one article I was reading put it, praise means to be thankful for God's blessings and to to declare that good news to God and to others. And it really makes sense. If we're thankful to God, we're going to praise Him for those blessings. We praise God because we're thankful for the blessings that He gives us. That thankfulness, that praise began even at the birth of Christ. Luke 2, 8-20 And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Shepherds and angels both praised the birth of Christ because the long-awaited Messiah had come. A Savior had been born. Now the shepherds may not have completely realized the implications of what the angels told them that night, but I think that they knew better than many that would come later of what they had heard. It's very possible that these shepherds had heard the prophecies of the Messiah that would come and save Israel, and now they had borne witness to the very child who was promised so long ago. 
They couldn't help but worship the Lord for what he had done and for what he had shown them. The thing that we should give thanks for the most, though, is this. We should give thanks because Christ was born to be the Savior of the world. We don't celebrate Christmas just because a baby was born. We celebrate Christmas because without Christ the babe in the manger, there is no Christ the Savior. Without Christ the child, there is no hope for this crazy, depraved, mixed-up mess of a world that we live in. There is no redemption from sin. There is no life eternal. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We put up manger scenes in our living rooms and in our front yards because a baby was born who would change the world. We sing songs such as God rest ye merry gentlemen and hark the herald angels sing because a baby was born who would one day in obedience to the Father lay down his life that sin and the powers of hell and death might no longer hold power over us. And because of that we give thanks because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, as I was preparing this message, as most of you know, a lot of times I will have a song that accompanies the message, and I kind of have that today, although we're actually going to sing it together rather than have me play something. Um, And honestly, when I was making this message, I figured I was probably going to have some sort of a Christmas song to play, but the song that for some reason kept sticking out in my head, and I have no idea why, is called, uh, it's a song from 1986 written by Mark Altrog, and it's called I'm Forever Grateful. So I'm going to ask my mom to come back up here, and we're going to sing that. Now, this is one of those songs from the 80s that was part of the advent of contemporary Christian hymns. It only consists of a single verse and a chorus that are repeated, but the lyrics perfectly demonstrate what Christ did for us. And while there's no mention of Christ the child, The words seem to be fitting to the tiny baby lying in the manger. Let's sing it out together. Yourself with frail humanity. 
You did not wait for me to cry out to you, but you let me hear your voice calling me, and I'm forever grateful to you. I'm forever grateful for the cross. I'm forever grateful to you. God didn't wait for us. He sought us out by sending His Son into the world, not as an all-powerful being or as a warrior, but as a small, frail baby born in a manger. He didn't wait for us to cry out to Him. He knew that we needed a Savior to rescue us from sin and death. And He calls out to us through the words of the Bible, through the spreading of the Gospel of those who have been called throughout the generations. And for that, we should be forever grateful. For that, we should give thanks to our Father in Heaven that He loved us enough to send His Son to die on a cross for our sins. Thanksgiving and Christmas come just once a year. But my hope for you and for myself is that we take the opportunity each and every day to give thanks to our Creator. And that as we get ready to celebrate the birth of the Savior, that we give thanks for who He was and is and the reason that He came, and that He's coming back again someday. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're blessed to be here this morning to be able to offer up our praise to You. And it's just wonderful to know that as of right now, we can do that without fear of persecution in the sense that so many do around the world, that we don't have to fear being hauled out in the streets and put into a jail cell or worse because of our faith. And as we look at all the blessings that you give us every day, and we are so blessed, and as we look at Christ as he was on here on earth, as a child and as a man, Christ is the Holy Spirit and Christ is our Savior. We can't ever thank You enough for all that You've done for us because it's without Your Son's death on the cross, without His resurrection, we don't have a chance for salvation. So I just pray that as we go throughout the week that we continue, even though the official holiday of Thanksgiving is past, 
that we would never cease to give thanks. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.